number 27. Appreciate all the wonderful singing this morning. Thank God for His felt presence, His Holy Spirit. Yes, that you pray for us this morning. For me personally, this is how I feel. I feel like uh, the text that God has laid on our heart this morning, this may very well be probably the most important message I've ever preached in my life. And with everything that's in me, I'm just a man. I'm going to get this right. If I've ever got anything right, with laser precision, I want to get this right. And we, we, we definitely, not definitely, we can't do anything unless the Spirit of God uh, intercede and intervene. I'm going to take my text out of Matthew 27, but uh, you need to get a pen and keep the Bible out because we're, we're going to go to Isaiah 53, Psalms 22, 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Maybe some more in the middle. But I want to take my text from Matthew 27, and I know it's 1145. <coughs> I want to, uh, I hope that, I hope that you'll be patient with me this morning as we uh, maneuver through this text, and uh, we're going to preach on the crucifixion this morning, but a certain event that happened at the crucifixion, and, and uh, uh, those that were in Bible study this week on Wednesday night, I mentioned this uh, in passing for just a few minutes, I didn't say a whole lot on it. The Lord had really been working on our heart in this message. We've been studying on this. Uh, two weeks would be an inaccurate representation. I've been studying on this for 20 years. I'm serious. And I don't know that I've ever stood on this because I was so unclear and unsure about where I stood and what the, script, uh, what the text was trying to say. And I don't want to do any damage to the Word of God. I just want to preach it in its truth uh, and what the Word says. And I'm going to read just a little excerpt right here. Of course, we know Matthew 27 uh, in the Gospel of Matthew is to do entirely with the crucifixion of our Savior, Christ. And we come down to a specific event right here, and above the four Gospels, this is only quoted and mentioned in two of them, in Matthew and Mark. It's not in Luke and John. There were seven utterances that Jesus cried from the cross, and you have to line up and you have to harmonize the Gospels 
to see the events of the seven utterances from Christ on the cross. This is perceivably the fourth, but like I said, it's only mentioned in Matthew and Mark. And it's taken from a quotation out of Psalms 22. That's why we're going to go to Psalms 22. And if I don't know, uh, if you... It's like Spuddy, let me tell you this story one time. Uh, Tim B. asked Spuddy, he had like six weeks of revival. And uh, Tim went to Spud and he said, Spud, what, what do I do? He said, I've preached everything I know. He said, don't kid yourself. They wasn't listening the first time, just start over. <laughs> but I preached the message and, I, and it may have been on Wednesday night. We may have had a little smaller crowd, I'm not sure. But I, I preached the message uh, on I, I, I use my text with Psalms 23, but I use Psalms 22 and 24 talking about the valley between the two mountains. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to preach on this side of the mountain before we got to the valley. And we get, and listen, I know I'm doing a lot of talking leading up to this, but I'm going to pick up right here because I'm only read three or four verses out of the book of Matthew. The Bible tells us in Matthew 27, verse number 45, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So this is at the crucifixion of Christ. We understand uh, in Jewish time, uh, as we're reading through the text, they started their days at sunup. So presumably around six o'clock in the morning is when their day would have started. So the sixth hour would have been roughly around 12 o'clock in the middle of the day. So the Bible says from the 6th to the ninth. so from somewhere in the vicinity of 12 o'clock noon to 3 o'clock in the evening, the Bible tells us that there was an absolute darkness that fell over all the land. And about the ninth hour, this is where I want you to focus. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Elahi, Elahi, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. The rest said, let it be, lest, uh, let us see whether Elias will come and save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. We believe that be all that God would have us to read in your hearing this morning. We pray that God would intercede, intervene, and add his blessing. To the reading of his word this morning. I want to preach for just a few minutes on the excerpt out of verse 46. The Greek interpretation that's given into the English which is my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? I want to talk about a few things this morning. I want to talk about number one. I, I want to establish this. Who is Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? He is the second person in the Godhead, the eternal begotten. The eternal begotten. I taught on this Wednesday night in, 
In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 18, 19, and 20, the Bible tells us, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold received from vain conversations from the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, Amen. as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who was barely foreordained before, before, before the foundation of the world. Who is Christ? He is the, etern the eternally begotten of the Father. The Bible tells us in John 1, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him, there's nothing made that is made. He's the eternal begotten of the eternal unbegotten of the Father. Out of the Father and the Son proceed the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. We have the triune Godhead. And I know we've been teaching through the Trinity, and this has just spurred up something that I, I listen, I've been struggling, and, and listen, I'm telling you, I've done I've done some praying and searching over this text over the years, and I don't know if you've ever wrestled over this. A lot of people will say, uh, listen, that God the Father turned His back on His Son. I'd like to ask you this morning, in the pinnacle, in the most profound event ever known in the history of the cosmos, the Father did not turn His back on His Son. If the Father had turned His back on His Son, every person in here is hopeless. Now, I want to talk about this, forsaken. I'm going to get to forsaken. I want you to keep that plugged into your mind, forsaken. What does forsaken mean? But listen, I, I need to finish something on the Son. So who is the Son? Who is uh, uh, the Son of God? Let's turn uh, with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter number of 15, or you can write this down. Listen, I'm not, I'm not going to go slow enough for you to follow me. If you want to, you can. Uh, but listen, uh, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, we get to uh, about uh, verse number 42. The Bible says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. What's the context of 1 Corinthians 15? He's talking to us about the resurrection. Amen. Uh, this is setting the stage for the resurrection of the saints, of the church, of the beloved of God. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Who is the last Adam? The last Adam or the second Adam is 
number one, I quote this verse often. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk out of place, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made thee free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh. Listen to this. God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Does that verse say that he condemned his Son? No. That verse says he condemned sin in the flesh of his Son. The Son's not condemned. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Amen? What John 3.16 does not say is that God so hated the world that he killed his son. It does not say that, does it? It says God so loved the world. Brokenness and fractured of the Godhead. Listen, we've developed and matured this ideology that at the cross of Calvary that we have the Father pitted against the Son. Because the Father cannot look on sin. Now listen, I need to tell you, I need to talk to you about something about something to understand about the Trinity. Okay? Uh, listen, uh, maybe, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but listen, you have the Father. The Father is not the Son. You have the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. But the Father is God. The Son is God. And the Spirit is God. Three persons, one God, one essence, co-equal, indivisible, and all full of glory. So when the Father hurts, the Son hurts. When the Spirit, amen, when the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, it said, grieve not. The Spirit of God. When we as the church, when we grieve the Spirit of God, we don't just grieve the Spirit. We grieve the Son and we grieve the Father. My God, my God. Why? Hast thou forsaken me? This comes from an excerpt of Psalm 22, written by David as a prophetic of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus to come. I'm going to ask you a question. Was David forsaken when he wrote that? These are David's words, weren't they? He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You remember David's life when, when he was anointed king? After Samuel came, and listen, he anointed this little 16-year-old boy. He anointed him king of Israel. And for 20-plus years, he ran 
from Saul. Saul tried to kill him numerous times. But David forsaken. Let me pose a question to you this morning. And I'm going to get back to some more biblical examples this morning. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, friends. I'm going slow because I am listening to every word the Spirit of God pushes me this morning. I don't want to say anything with my own accord. This is too important. The Father loved the Son. The Son said, I came not to do my will, but the Father's. He said, there's none good. Save one, and that's the Father. In John 10, Jesus said, listen, I and the Father are one. We have all these quandaries in the scripture. We ask questions over them. We, we try and understand these things. But when it comes to the terms of forsaken, I'm going to ask you the question this morning. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they stood before Nebuchadnezzar, they said, Oh, King, we will not bow. Remember, remember their call, Skip? He said, they said this. They said, whether God delivers us or whether he don't, we will not die. Were they forsaken? Were they forsaken when they were bound hand and foot? Were they forsaken when the enemies uh, 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 listen, of the Jewish tradition took those three Hebrew children and got to the mouth of a furnace that was heated seven times hotter than it had never been heated in its life and it consumed them and they were cast into the fire? Were they forsaken? Why not? Because we know the end of the story. Who is standing in the fire? Were they forsaken? <laughs> Their robes did not even smell smoke, the Bible says. Their bands were loose, and Nebuchadnezzar looked into the mouth of the raging inferno, and he said, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? He said, Yea, I see four men loose. Walking around in the midst. And the fourth hath the form of the Son of God. Was Daniel forsaken in the lion's den? No. Let's get more personal. Was my granddaddy forsaken when he was stricken with an evil disease called Parkinson's? Were your family members forsaken? When they got the declaration that cancer is terminal? Were you forsaken? When the child that you had yearned and prayed for years and years and years was mistaken? 
Were you forsaken when the child that you loved more than yourself was taken out of this world? Were you forsaken? Were you forsaken in all of these times, and in all of these events, and in all of these scenarios? My friends, listen to me. When we pray, I said this and preached about this a few weeks ago. Listen, Garth Brooks wrote a song back in the 90s. He said, I thank God for unanswered prayers. That's a hypocritical lie. Don't believe it. God answers every prayer. It's either yes, no, or later. Yeah. They're not unanswered. They don't go unheard. Forsaken can mean two different things. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. We're 2,020 years removed from the original Greek text. We have a translation of it. Listen, I love the poetic literature and the nature of the King James Version. But I'm going to tell you something, friends. Listen, there's three different, you know this, there's three different words for love. And you know how the Bible defines them? Love. Let me put it to you like this. You know what we call rice in the United States? Rice. You know what rice is called in Asia? There's 13 different words for rice. Why? Because it's so important to them. Right? You see, friends, listen, when we go through this, we must understand that when we have the, the Son crying and looking unto the Father, why hast thou forsaken me? We've got to keep this in the broader and the greater context of Psalms 22. Let's go there. Psalms 22. David cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? He said, God, why are you so far away? Through the screaming of 
the child we
Savior is a sinner, you don't have a Savior. <laughs> That's what was so beautiful in Revelation chapter number 5. When John the Revelator, he said, I looked into the midst of the throne and the four beasts and the 24 elders and the Bible said, and I saw him that sat upon the throne. He had a book sealed within and without uh, on the backside sealed with seven seals. Yeah. <laughs> and heaven was searched. And the earth was searched. And beneath the earth was searched. And there was none found worthy. John said, I began to weep much because there was none found worthy. And the Bible said that a mighty angel spoke out of heaven and said, John, weep not. For the line of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. Amen. And John said, and I turned and looked. <laughs> and he said, what I saw in the midst of the throne and the four beasts and the 24 elders, this is what he saw. I saw a lamb as it had been slain. <laughs> My Savior is not a sinner. My Savior was not abandoned. My Savior was not forsaken. Because if my Savior is a sinner, I'm a sinner. If he was abandoned, I'm abandoned. If he was forsaken, I'm forsaken. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities in every circumstance that we have in this text right here, friends, listen to me. Every circumstance that we have in this text right here, it is he carrying and bearing our consequence, not his own. This is just a, this, this was kind of free. I just want you to pay attention to this. I'm not preaching on this this morning, but I want you to pay attention to this. I want you to pay attention to, to the language that was used. He was. Yeah. He was wounded. Yeah. He was bruised. What, what does that mean? This is past tense language and verbiage used before Christ was ever born. You see, Calvary was, listen, it wasn't as good as the it was, though, before the world ever was. And I'm not going to preach on that. I just want you to take that stick in your pocket. She wants it. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him what? The iniquity of us all. Christ the God man. 
Listen, I'm going to get a little nerdy on you right here. In, in 325, there was an ecumenical council formed. I, I listen, and they come out and they said, listen, I'm going to explain this a little bit better. They, they affirmed what is known as the hypostatic union. What is the hypostatic union? The hypostatic union is this, that he is fully God and fully man in one person. What does that mean? Gene, uh, we had a discussion on this, and I'm going to call Gene by name because the, he had a hard time with this. A lot of people have a hard time with this. They had a hard time grasping the reality that Jesus was fully human.
got no bodies. Who's he being punished for? Me. When I say me, you can include you in that. I want you to pay attention to verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. God is love. I'm going to tell you something this morning that might be shocking to you. God does not love you more than he loves his son. First John 4 said this, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. God is love. That's a qualifying attribute of God. Now in terms of me and you and human responsibility, when we love, we can love in different capacities. Right? If I love you, but I love my wife in a different way than I love you. I love your kids, but I love my kids in a different way than I love your kids. Because I'm human, intrinsically, I have a different capacity to love. But see, this is the beautiful thing about God. God is love. We describe how we can be like God, but we can't describe what God is. God is love. And he so loved the world that he gave his son. Now a lot of people will bring and make the accusation that this is cosmic child abuse. They say that the father beat his son and killed him on the cross. Does that sound like love? This is where we get back into the Trinity. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. When one hurts, they all hurt. When they bear, they all bear. What happened that day on Calvary when there was darkness over all the land from the, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour? Friends, listen to me. This is not a bit where we have the Father pitted against the Son. This is where we have perfect, united, harmonious agreement where the Father, the Son, and the Spirit stand in perfect unity and the wrath and the penalty of God is exercised in the Son, as He bears all of humanity's sin. And it's like a black hole 
sucking up all the wickedness and the abomination as the sun. Listen, the sun is not bearing our wrath at that point. The sun is consuming our sin in his own wrath. Because if the Father hates sin, the Son also does. The Spirit also does. This is not division and this is not dividing. This is harmony. <clears throat> now I'm going to get back to Psalms 22 after I read this and I'm going to wind this up. <clears throat> my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken Let me define the term again. When we say forsake, we I mean abandon. Leave, turn around, run, never go back. Forsaken can also mean another thing. It is to cease in activity. There's two definitions, there's two Greek definitions given. Abandonment and cease in activity. Remember the conversation that Jesus had with Pilate leading up to this? Remember that? Pilate made this comment. He said, don't you know I have the power to kill you here? Ah. Jesus didn't say anything up until that point. He popped up. He said, you have no power at all. (laughs) Then he qualified it with this statement. Lest my father give it to you. Then he said this. Knowest thou not that I could call down 12 legions of angels, 72,000 angels. One angel went through the warning. He said, I can call down 72,000. So what happened on the cross? Wasn't that the Father abandoned and left. It's that the Father ceased from intervening. Okay? Remember, remember the three answers? Yes, no, and later. Let's go back to Psalms 22. I'm going I'm I'm to conclude with this. Psalms 22. Remember, you've got you've to read Matthew 27 in context of Psalms 22. Say amen if you believe that. Okay, listen, Jesus was quoting David. And that's all we ever take into consideration. Let's continue reading in verse number 24 and see what David said. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Sounds pretty good, don't it? Neither hath he hid his face from him. The father did not turn his back on his son. He did not hide 
his face. He stood with his son. The Spirit gave the Son power and the Father endured with the Son. Neither had he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. You're going to quote it. You better read it all. Read it all. He hid not his face from him. And he heard. You put, you harmonize the rest of the Gospels, you'll find after Jesus made this cry. Uh, my favorite t-shirt that I wear, the Greek word telestai, which means it is finished or paid in full. And then he said, Father, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Amen. That makes me want to run.
But this is the tricky part. When you come out the other side, you better say the same thing. Because if love changes in your interpretation, your interpretation is wrong. God is love. I am the beginning and the end, saith the Lord of hosts, the King of kingship. Oh, the enthronement that day. Well, I think about Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. Y'all get your song. I preached that, the message uh, a few months ago, whenever it was. I preached on the valley between two mountains. I preached on Psalm 22 this morning. And, and I preached independently on Psalm 24 before as well. But I think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Daniel, and Elijah, and Elisha. As they go read Psalm 24. As they were awakened one day by a shout that said, Open the gates, and the King of glory shall come in. They cried from the inside. They said, Who is this King of glory? And he said, Open wide the gates, and the King of glory shall come in. Other procession of 72,000 angels that hovered over Christ as he bore our iniquity and our sin was carried as heaven assembled. The gates were opened and the Son and the Spirit united with the Father. Glory. 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 Oh, I can't wait. Can you? I preached a couple weeks ago on the entrance into heaven. I can't wait to stand on the sea of glass. Sing the song of Moses, the Redeemer. In the presence of love. Because God is love and we are not forsaken. His son was not forsaken and you are not forsaken. I want the world to know you are not forsaken. You are not abandoned. You are loved, boundlessly, endlessly. In words that my vocabulary cannot even articulate, Francis, when I want you to know how much you are loved. 